Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. you are doing well today we are going on a sailing journey with our next guest who is a record-holding sailor that only started her journey at the age of 25 and after seven short years started making history she was the first woman to sail solo around Antarctica with one stop Overcoming a dramatic dismasting at sea, she went on to lead the first all-female team in the Rolex Sydney to Hobart yacht race after setting two more world records by sailing solo, non-stop and unassisted around Australia. In 2022, she became the fastest person to sail solo, non-stop and unassisted around Antarctica while conducting crucial ocean health research with over 110,000 nautical miles under her belt. She's not only an accomplished sailor, but also an author, adventurer, and inspirational speaker. During this episode, we talked about some of the challenges she faced while sailing solo around Antarctica, what inspired her naming her boat Climate Action Now, and some of the magical wildlife encounters she shared while at sea, as well as how climate action and the plastic pollution is impacting our oceans. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Lisa Blair. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. You're most welcome. Like, how did your sustainable journey start? Let's start right there. Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one because I grew up in the bush. So we actually grew up on solar power and, you know, we would hand feed the goannas and pump the water up from the creek and we were sort of immersed in nature in this rainforest property. So that was sort of, I guess, where I got a lot of respect for nature. But my sustainability or my personal sustainability journey didn't really start till I sailed around the world the first time. You know, we were sailing past like China and up through past like kind of a lot of the Asian kind of countries and just the sheer amount of pollution that was getting collected in the oceans up there. And then we sailed between Australia and Africa and into the Southern Ocean, like thousands of miles from land. And we were more than 20 days from the last piece of land that we had seen. And I saw a styrofoam box floating past. And I was just like, there has to be something more that I could do towards this because this shouldn't be in this environment. This is the most remote sections of the ocean. And I'm seeing human impact and I'm seeing human pollution down there. And so that really started me on um, trying to, I guess, like utilize my projects from a sustainability point of view or utilize the media coverage I generate through my projects to really expand and advance that out. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And plastic and pollution, it just seems that it is everywhere at this stage. And 
being able to to do what you do and you know raise awareness with that as well as you know accomplish some I would say quite a few records you have broken (laughs) or not broken just like smashed it out of the park (laughs) so you have really accomplished such a lot I mean you were one of the first women to sail around Antarctica. You were the fastest person to actually sail, you know, nonstop, unassisted around it as well. And there has only been three people in the world that's actually done that. So that's such an amazing one. Like, can you tell us how do you face challenges and things on these expeditions? Yeah, it's an interesting one because like 12 people have landed on the moon. So more people have gone to the moon than have sailed solo around Antarctica. The challenges with that kind of project are really specific because you're in the greatest storm belt of the planet. So in the Southern Ocean, there's this area of low pressure system that rolls around the planet. And what happens is you get a storm the size of like a hurricane or a cyclone on a weekly basis. And they're so physically huge that most sailors or most people transiting down there don't actually spend much time there. So they will go around like the southern tip of the South American coastline passing Cape Horn. And that for most like round the world sailors is the hardest part of their record and the most technically challenging because they're entering into that big storm belt. And they're not sure whether they will get caught out with one of those storms. And so they try and time it to avoid the storms as you kind of go around. For me though, I am was in that storm belt the entire time on the record. So for 90 days, or I was aiming at three months, I'm having to plan to exist in those conditions for that extended period of time, which was something that actually only the two other people have done before. So it requires a a sort of different sort of mindset or attitude, and it requires a different type of boat and, and making sure that the boat's strong enough to take the hits down there. And on a normal sort of storm front coming through, the winds can get so incredibly powerfully strong that you can't get a decent breath of air up on deck of the boat without actually cupping your mouth and getting yourself like a little wind shelter around your mouth so you can get a breath of air because there's just so much moisture in the water, like torn up from the waves. It's just getting ripped sideways from the amount of wind around you that you you can't breathe. So it's Yeah, it's sort of really hard to sort of, I guess, put people on the boat. But if you imagine a wave the size of like a five-story building, that's what you go through every sort of seven to 10 days. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty intense. (laughs) And I mean, you, you faced some like really severe challenges on some of your expeditions. I mean, with one, you literally broke your mask. And you had to also DIY project it at sea. Like, you know, has there been many of those challenges where you've just been like, oh my goodness, why, 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 why am I here in the middle of the ocean doing this? Yeah, you do. Like I tried to set the overall speed record in 2017 and unfortunately had an unplanned stop in Cape Town after the dismasting. And very nearly didn't live to tell that tale multiple times through that night went into hypothermia and and you you go into a life or death situation when something catastrophic fails in that environment because you are physically just so far from anybody and any help that you have to self-rescue and you have to fight as hard as you can to survive and that was like the biggest challenge in that record because it it forced me to have an unplanned stop in Cape Town but 
Uh, and the amount of damage to the boat that we undertook that night was pretty extreme. But that was, you know, only one moment of so many other challenges that I had to overcome or face on that journey. And while I was actually writing the book, so I wrote the book Facing Fear. It's around the story of that first circumnavigation around Antarctica. And as I was writing the story, I was originally going to title it Dismastered. And I changed the name of the book because I, as I was writing it, I realized there were so many other moments throughout that journey that were so intense. I came on deck once and realized the whole back compartment was flooded with two tons of water in it. And so I was trying to bail this water out and you know, the boat was flipped completely upside down in a in a storm. And so this wave rolled us 180 degrees upside down. And I was on the bottom of the bunk above me. We were completely upside down from this wave. And, and at one point I got almost washed overboard and I managed to hook an elbow on the rigging wire as I was sort of getting slid past. And like my legs and my hips and my torso were overboard and in the ocean and just like my shoulders and my head had managed to like hook onto this bit of rigging and stay on board the boat. And, you know, a wave that's the size of a house or two or three stories of a house, they have so much white water and volume of white water around them. And you might have two or three meters of white water on a breaking wave that size. And like one square meter of white water is one ton of pressure getting applied. So it doesn't matter if you want to stay attached, um, you, you know, your chances of being able to stay attached are just so slim in those conditions. And yeah, so there was definitely like lots and lots of things that happened on that first project that really became life-defining kind of moments. And I titled the book Facing Fear because it was really about trying to push past my fear moments and push past those challenges and and rationalize it to myself and and created an avenue where I've risk managed such an extreme risk so much that I could actually survive it. And then, yeah, it was five years later when I went again, which was last year, where I set the overall speed record and became the fastest person to do it. And that meant I was going to go back into the Southern Ocean for another three months, knowing full well that I very nearly didn't survive the first time. And what kind of challenges would I face this time? And, you know, as you can imagine, there was certainly plenty more of those as well. Wow. that That's phenomenal. Like I, I certainly don't know if I, you know, have got what it takes to survive alone for three months on the ocean. And it's not just like perfect sailing. I'm lying on the deck, you know, reading a book for three months. It's like intense, you know, so would you say that was kind of some of the biggest challenges that you went through through that one? Or was there other challenges as well that you have faced while being at sea on many of your journeys? And how has facing these challenges actually shaped you as a sailor and adventurer? Those were some of the biggest like physical challenges. I guess the other really big challenge that should be shared is that the mental aspect of it, because you're so isolated and you're so alone. And I feel like one of the biggest personal challenges is actually the chronic fatigue and the sleep deprivation. So when I'm close to known hazards near land, near islands or iceberg territory or any of that, I'm only sleeping in 20 minute micro sleeps. So Every 20 minutes, I have to wake up and scan the instruments and scan the horizon line and make sure that there's not a hazard ahead of me. So like, if you imagine a 24-hour period, I might get a four or six-hour block of 20-minute sleeps. And in that block, I've managed to... Uh, 
accumulate maybe two hours of actual sleep. And I'll try and get a second block in at some point in that day. And so I'm operating on such an extreme level of sleep deprivation. So it just like clarity of mind, decision-making, reaction reaction in, you know, some of these situations, you've got to put so many checks and balances in place to make sure you're not putting yourself into an additional position of risk that you didn't understand beforehand when you enter into those situations. But then because you get so chronically exhausted, and then you're doing so many sale changes. So physically you become so many, so exhausted as well as mentally, you lose the ability to regulate your emotions. So it's, it's almost like you revert back to being a toddler where you don't know how to deal with frustration or you don't know how to process certain feelings and emotions through your body. And so you, it's like parts of your body's regulation system start shutting down. So I would do things like I'd be changing a sale. And nothing's wrong. Like absolutely nothing's wrong. It's a normal day at sea and the rope jams like the tiniest little bit for half a second. And it's like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'm like bawling my eyes out. I'm incredibly frustrated. Like I just like it's it's like you just can't control those emotions anymore because you're just so chronically exhausted. And at one point on the last record in 2022, I got so tired that my body started physically shutting down. So I was going into hypothermia inside my boat, inside all my sleeping bag with all my layers on, warm as I should have been. Every other time I would have been hot and my body couldn't regulate my temperature. And so it started shutting me down. And so I was just shivering uncontrollably for hours and hours in bed. And I hadn't been on deck. I hadn't been exposed to cold climate. Like, you know, it was cold, but it wasn't freezing. And I had hot water bottles and I just couldn't stop shivering. That's when I would notice that I would need to change my priorities from like performance to sleep and make sure that I was trying to increase those sleeps from 20 minutes to 40 minutes or an hour if I was in open ocean and really trying to my body to heal a little bit so that I could deal with the next emergency. And, you know, when I did do that section where I got hypothermic, like sleeping in my sleeping bag, about 20 minutes later, the whole boat was flipped upside down by a wave in a storm and flooded with like 20 buckets of water. And it was another, you're, you're most chronically fatigued and you go into the next survival situation. So yeah, none of it's easy. And it's, I sort of feel like people who aren't sailors or or haven't been on an ocean like that, it's really hard to relate to how technically challenging a trip like that is to actually undertake. But even a lot of sailors, they're like, they just, you can't fathom how much you get tested in that environment down there. And you, you still go back every time? Yeah, I uh, I always get asked what's my favorite ocean to sail and it's always the Southern Ocean because it's just as technically challenging as it is and as incredibly exhausting and, and risky as it is, it is one of the most beautiful oceans on the planet because you get to go through a storm the size of a hurricane and you're on a 15-meter boat all alone and you get to witness Mother Nature at its actual most powerful and rawest and to have the wind screaming around you and these incredibly huge waves and and to be feeling so tiny and so insignificant, you're a dot on the ocean. And, you know, I hear a lot of sailors, they say, oh, I conquered the seas or I conquered the ocean. And 
And I never felt that that was the right language use because you've got to move with Mother Nature. You've got to move with the rhythm of the sea to be able to safely cross an ocean. And you're not conquering anything. They're, like she's allowing you to cross. So it it's becomes this real connection to nature and to the environment around you. And it's one of the big reasons why I do so much climate activism work and, and my boat's called Climate Action Now. And I run, you know, the sustainability side of my projects because, the more I sail, the more connected I am to the environments around me and the more I want to protect that environment. Oh, I love that. That is so, so important. And before we we go back and talk about your boat, because I definitely want to, you know, get more into that climate yeah. action now, <laughs> I actually wanted to talk to you about like throughout your sailing career, I mean, you've done this now for more than a couple of years. Have you noticed like significant changes in like the ocean, with regards to like water quality, marine life, and also climate patterns, like since you've started to like now, and how has some of these changes actually impacted your expedition? Uh, now I can't even say the word expeditions. <laughs> <laughs> I think the world's waking up to the fact that we are having such an incredible impact on our environments. And for me, I have seen, like even just from being a kid, being in the bush, the seasons used to be by the calendar date. You you knew winter had arrived because you had that fresh blast of cold air arrive that day, or you knew you hit summer because the thunderstorms would arrive. Whereas now the calendar date for seasons versus the actual season's arrival, it's almost a month out of sync and it's getting worse all the time. And we're getting cyclones in the middle of winter coming through across the top of Australia and we're getting snow out of season, out of its character. Like we're seeing so many extreme weather events that are changing and they're only going to continue to get worse. And the weather forecasts are becoming more unpredictable because there's no structure to it. The rhythm of the planet's changing. And and I think like for me, from a sailor's point of view, like particularly like for us to not have the reliability of knowing when the seasons are, where the regular winds are, are we going to get caught out by a storm that's out of season? It becomes difficult to to make sure your projects are, are set with the best available opportunity for success and making sure you're doing the trip in the right seasons because there are none. And I think that that's like really challenging. I also have noticed like just the wild, like the density of wildlife you see out there is hugely different. Like from when I first sailed around the world to when I've crossed oceans recently, there's areas of the ocean that you sail through that just feel empty. And like, you know, when you're sailing, like you don't see the wildlife as much because it's all underwater or, and you're just passing through an area, but you can feel the heart of what's around you. Like you, you can sense that there's life and abundance of life in, in certain areas, even if you're not seeing it specifically like on the surface, but the sections that I've sailed through where I've just felt like it, it's felt empty and whether it is or not, you know, I, I, I couldn't prove it, but the sections like off the coast of Mexico where I sailed through and we were having full David Attenborough moments where there was like thousands of dolphins and major bait balls and like so much life and energy in it. And then there's other sections that you sail through and you just see nothing. There's no bird life. There's no fish life. You're not getting dolphins. You can't see whales. Like there's just nothing. And it's just like you can feel that as you're passing through because you get so in tune with the environment around you as you're sailing through it that you you feel that change. And then I guess like 
wave formation, like the storms are becoming more aggressive as they come through because they're generated in a different way. And we're going into the next drought now, coming in with the season changes. So, so you know, our farmers are going to be struggling over the next couple of years and we've just come from floods. So, and we're going to have bushfires as another issue in the near future. And none of this is okay. And seeing it specifically is it, it's sort of hard to fathom that the statistics, and I was having a conversation with a friend about this actually yesterday, and the statistics are at the moment that they're forecasting that by 2050, there'll be more plastic than fish in the ocean. Now, 2050 used to feel like a long time ago, like in the future, it's 28 years away. It's closer than my age in timeline. So in 28 years, they're forecasting there's going to be more plastic than fish in the ocean. Like, And how is that okay for anybody to be okay with that. And that's just one area of human impact. And then we've got obviously the, the land impact and then we've got the weather system changes with the carbon footprint and and so on and so forth. And I feel like people really need to start being concerned about their individual impact because it requires a global movement to change those numbers and to hopefully start seeing more increase in wildlife in our oceans and and more protection of marine parks and and more focus on us not dominating absolutely everything around us. It's pretty scary. When people kind of think about marine parks, and I actually had uh, Captain Paul Watson on the podcast uh, a few episodes mm. ago, and we we talked about you know that less than 1% of the ocean is actually protected. And you can kind of put that in air quotes because are they really protected? You know, if people are, you know, whaling or doing all sorts of terrible stuff to the marine life within those protected areas, they are not really prosecuted. It's like, yeah, we're trying to stop them, but are they really? So, you know, are those really protected? And we're seeing more and more of this happening. And at one of the places like in Galapagos Island, you know, people are actually going and destroying marine life in there now. So it is just terrible to see. And I think sometimes for me, I'm not a sailor. I hope to one day, you know, maybe take on <laughs> some journey. I'm not as adventurous as you to do it solo. But just to kind of get that appreciation for the ocean and, you know, to see that wildlife, because I feel that is sometimes missing because we don't have that direct connection. You know, we hear about the oceans, we hear about all of these whales and everything that's happening everywhere, but we don't see it. You know, we don't see the magic of the ocean, which I would like to refer to that. And you have probably seen so many amazing wildlife encounters while, you know, you're on the boat and that's kind of the only people that you're communicating or the only species other than yourself that you're talking to. Like, what has been some of these remarkable wildlife encounters that you've had on your journeys that you can share with us to kind of give us that little bit more appreciation of the ocean as well? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, one of the big things about the Southern Ocean which is another fascinating statistic for you, is that there's more bird life per square metre in the Southern Ocean than anywhere else in the planet, whether it's on land or sea. 
so the amount of albatross and storm petrels and and you know a storm front's coming because the birds actually ride the pressure wave ahead of a storm front and so you get this huge density of birds traveling across the planet and they come in a wave just before the storm arrives so you get to see like how they just glide and they spend their entire life just in the air and on the ocean and it's just the most it's almost like a form of meditation just watching them just cruise and fly with the pressure wave on the top of the ocean and so that's like always kind of happening like anytime I'm on deck there's always at least a bird around that you can watch you know enjoying the ocean and then with the first record around Antarctica I actually got followed by a pod of killer whales for two weeks there was like eight or nine killer whales like around the boat one day when I was up on deck and then it felted down to just one whale off the back corner of the boat for two weeks and they must have changed whales like changed watch over and every time I'd go to the back of the boat the whale would drop back and keep an equal distance from me to the whale and then if I moved to the front of the boat it'll come closer but there was times where you could see it like look and it was consciously looking at me and I never felt threatened by them, but I felt like they were more threatened by me and they were trying to decide whether I was going to be a problem for them in their ocean. And because I was so far south and that there was no, you know, no other craft, there was no consistency of sailing vessels passing through, I really felt like they were just maintaining a watch and checking that I wasn't going to be a problem for them. There has been cases of whales attacking boats, particularly, I think it's off Mexico, but it all started because a boat hit a juvenile whale and killed it. And then that pod of whales has started defending their territory. So it's really, you know, there's this intelligence about them that you don't see on a documentary or, you know, but you, when you look and whale in the eye and it looks back at you with conscious knowledge, that's incredibly powerful. Another time I I was sailing through an area of the ocean called Iceberg Alley and it's where the highest density of icebergs are. And I always try and route myself around icebergs because I'm in a fiberglass boat and I didn't want to risk actually, you know, hitting an iceberg. So I couldn't see ice, but I was on deck trying to maintain a watch. It was a very calm day. So like less than 10 knots of wind. We're just very slowly sailing along. And I popped up on deck after being, uh, I think I was making lunch or something in, in the boat. And suddenly there was like this spurt of a whale breathing in the distance and it looked like an iceberg for half a second. And then I realized it was a whale. And I, then I started looking around and, and as I started paying attention to it, I must have been surrounded with nearly 200 whales and they were all just sort of napping on the surface of the ocean, just drifting along on the surface. And and so as Climate Action Now drifted, all of these whales just kind of drifted in company for a day and it was like just such a, a special, calm moment in such a stormy sea. And to to do it in company like that, especially being all alone, it just makes you feel like you've got friends like around you, even when you're still on the boat on your own. So yeah, there's there's remarkable moments like that. Tons of dolphins at different times, sometimes in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And you never get sick of watching the dolphins play on the bow of the boat. And um so many moments. Oh, that sounds so amazing. And yeah, I just wish that, you know, a lot more people can have these moments so that they can just have more respect for the ocean and for the environment and to be able to do their part as well. 
What actions do you believe individuals or communities can actually take to combat our environmental issue at the moment effectively? Yeah, I think one of the biggest actions which is severely underlooked is your own individual footprint and understanding that how you spend your money is a vote for our future and how you use your car or your vehicle is it has an impact and where you shop and how you shop and what clothing you wear, all of that has an impact because it could be polyester-based, which creates microplastics, which enters the ocean, or you might be shopping and buying the bags of lettuce wrapped in plastic rather than the lettuce that's just freely at the shelf of the supermarket. Like every choice we can we make is a for or against for the environment when we're spending money. So I think that there's such a power around that as an individual. And when you start to understand that your choices matter on a day-by-day basis and that it's really quite simple to choose just slightly to the left or slightly to the right, there'll be an option that has a lower impact for our environment. And if you choose that option and collectively we do this globally, then that's going to influence product development if you're choosing a more sustainable option, then that option is going to be more funded. And so more options like that will come out. So we will have more products wrapped in paper, not plastic. We'll have more availability for recycling because people are choosing those options over others. And then that influences political parties, policy change, because they see the supply and demand. So so every every choice we make and, and how we spend our money is is a vote for our future. And I think that that's a really powerful thing. And I think people need to start taking a lot of ownership for their individual impact and and not just thinking, oh, my little bit doesn't matter because I'm just one person. That attitude will just as collect, like that happens collectively globally. So if we can change everyone's attitude to be like, well, my impact does matter and, and I can create a difference and I choose to spend my money on organic materials or I choose to spend my money on whatever it is that's a sustainable choice then that's going to influence everything down the line. And and I think people feel like in order to be sustainable, they have to get everything plastic in their home and throw it away and replace it all with stainless steel products or glass or, you know, all of these items that are seen as cool to be green and cool to be sustainable. And, and all that does is just send that plastic that was perfectly viable and useful and still having a lifespan to landfill a lot earlier. And so instead, it's it's upcycle, recycle, use what you have as long as you can, try and repair it before replacing it. And then when you are buying new things, just try and go for that slightly more sustainable option. But understand that you are creating an impact with those decisions and that impact can be really positive or it can be negative and take some ownership for your impact, I guess, as, as an individual. Definitely. And I mean, yeah, the most sustainable option of stuff that you can find is the ones that you have. So, you know, if you feel I no longer want to use these uh, plastic, you know, stuff to put hot food in, you know, yeah, I can understand. Maybe use it for another purpose in your house until it is completely done with this life, you know, but don't throw out perfectly good stuff or join buy nothing groups. And if you want to give it to someone else that can actually use it. But yeah, the bin should definitely be the last place to go to. 
Climate action now. That is something we all need to do. We need to take action now, now. And we've talked about it earlier, uh, your boat. And obviously it's got this massive climate action now. And I will link images for our crazy birds to actually see on the show notes as well. But can you tell us more about that? Like what inspired you to actually take action for climate and how do you promote sustainable practices through your sailing exhibitions? Yeah, so I guess like I raced around the world with this crude yacht race and after that, after seeing the amount of pollution in the ocean and seeing the impacts and getting like the firsthand view of that and also, like you said, building a closer relationship with our environments, it made me really want to make sure that all of my sailing campaigns and all of my projects had an impact of some form and that they have that community give back. But the biggest thing, like I started these campaigns eight years ago and eight years ago, the words climate action were very negative and the media would portray them in a negative manner and you were labelled a tree hugger or a crazy person because you believed in climate change. And and that's not that long ago. And so when I started the campaign, by changing the name of the boat to Climate Action Now, in my mind, it made the media have to use the words Climate Action Now. But I also tried to use it in a really fun, positive way, because there's so much catastrophizing that happens with all of this talk of our environments. And, and we need to catastrophize it because it's, it is it is what's happening but at the same state, it made me, when I first started learning about it, feel so overwhelmed by it that I didn't feel like I could do anything that would matter. It made me realize that every other person out there in the planet feels the same. They feel like their bit's not going to make a difference and they're just one person and, and it won't help. So for me, I really wanted to make sure that I could change that attitude and really inspire people that as an individual, it matters, you matter, and you do have an impact. And that impact can be really positive and it doesn't require a huge change. And so I wanted to work out a way to share that in a positive, fun way, but also slightly passive. And I didn't want to force it down people's throat because I think it's a journey everyone reaches individually and and if we just tell people you have to do this, then you get people rebelling from that because they haven't created their own connection with it and they haven't, you know, come to that conclusion themselves yet. So what I did was um, started collecting post-it note messages from people in the public. Every message was an environmental action that they were already doing. So Joe has short showers. Sally turns the lights off when she leaves the room. Little George, who's six years old, has a plastic-free lunchbox. Like, Whatever these little actions were, someone picks up rubbish off the beach when they walk their dog in the morning. Like, and we took thousands of these actions and turned them into this digital design and then wrapped my entire boat in all of these post-it note messages. So the campaign became a lot less about me and a lot more about sharing these actions from the community and sharing what they were doing and inspiring people that they have the power to create change. It just starts with one action. And the thing was that was really interesting about it was that initially, particularly on the first record in 2017, the media would try and focus on the fact that I'm a female or they would try and focus on the fact that I've done Antarctica. And almost every interview, they would try and avoid the hull wrap and the colors on the boat and the post-it note messages or the fact that the boat was called Climate Action Now. 
And they would always ask me the last question, anything else you'd like to add? And I'd be like, well, yeah, my boat's cold. Like, this is what I want to talk about. But the really great thing about it is that this last record in 2022, I've continued this campaign. It's still an active campaign. So if any listeners would like to submit their climate action post-it note to the campaign, you can go to my website and fill in, go to uh, get involved. And it, you know, it's all in there under the climate action now tab, but the media this time around were engaging with me more around the message of climate action now. And I was also doing science on board the boat, citizen science, taking microplastic samples and stuff. So they were engaging around that so much more than they ever had in the past because the boat is called climate action now. And I think that that's a really powerful thing to share because we're seeing the shift, the pendulum swinging as people are becoming more socially aware of our impacts and we're seeing what's the effects. And it's not just this distant future that nobody relates to anymore. It's happening now on our doorstep. And so I think it's really amazing to see that in the six years between projects, it went from being something negative to people's minds and the media not wanting to cover it because they didn't want to continue to focus on this thing to being something incredibly positive that is now embraced and talked about. And and you can go to a barbecue with mates and have a really good conversation about your impact on the environment and it be a really positive thing, not a negative thing. And I, I think that that's, you know, that's something really great to see happening with our future and, and people are amazing. And once we become aware of something like that and we see it, firsthand happening around us every day and we become, you know, we start taking notice of that, we do act on it, which is amazing. That all is lost narrative is changing to the future is ours and we can make it what we want. I just love that. I love the rebelliousness of you, you know, going out and how dare you name your boat climate action now that we have to say it every single time. I absolutely love that. And it's so great. I mean, when I when I first saw the boat, I was just like, does this look like almost I was like, is that a one of those flippy floppy boats which they've made out of the flip flops? Because it looked like all of these colors. And I was like looking at it. And when I looked close, I was like, oh, hang on, it's got so many cool inspirational messages. And I guess it also gives you a little bit something to maybe read off the side, you know, when you do get very lonely, you can <laughs> read a few messages and remember, that's why you're here. That's why you're here. So that's amazing. I, I just love it. And I'm going to try and contribute my message as well. And hopefully some of our other crazy birds as well. So I will link that up in our show notes so we can just go there and uh, have a look at that. So we've spoken a little bit about your book, but there is also a film, the Ice Maiden uh, film that documented your voyages. Can you share with us like a little bit, you know, what is this film about and why it was important to actually showcase women's achievements in this traditional male-dominant field. Yeah, so the film is called Ice Maiden and uh, it's been in production for about six years now and it's focused on the first record around Antarctica in 2017. So it's that story of getting started, the, the why I decided to do a challenge like Antarctica, which is like the most crazy out there thing I could possibly imagine doing. And it also details like the survival story of the dismasting and the challenges I faced on that journey. 
and the launch of the climate action campaign and the sustainability message there. So that's currently sitting at distribution. So we're trying to sell the film out effectively. So the production company, Jackson Speed, who edited that up, I feel like I got to watch the final edits just the other day for the first time. And I'm really proud of how they've been able to sort of translate my story. And I left the watching of the film feeling like I wanted to go and sail around Antarctica, like feeling like I could go and do that, even though it's my story. Like, so I feel like viewers watching it down the line will get that same sense of feeling. And so we, we don't have release dates just yet. So um, we have to wait until those negotiations take place, but just follow along on my social media and my website, and it'll all be announced through there as soon as I'm able to sort of share it out. But one of the things I do a lot of now is actually speak in schools for free. So it's one of my big community give backs. And it's something I'm expanding a lot more in my next project around New Zealand. And one of the key reasons I do that is because I think it's so important for kids, particularly and young women, to get connected with a project like this and to see someone who, you know, I was heavily bullied in school. I'm dyslexic. I was the kid that barely passed English, math and science and those kind of subjects but I'm out there and I'm living and and to give them some connection to the sea and some connection to the ocean and the environment at a young age and to, to inspire them to want to take their own environmental actions, I think is incredibly important. So, you know, I don't think it's just women that get empowered by a project like mine. And I think that that's really cool because it shouldn't be just women. It should be everybody. And it is technically a, a fairly male dominated industry still. And I originally went and bought a boat and did it myself because I wasn't getting opportunities as a female in the industry. But like I said, in the decade I've been sailing, I've seen a major shift in that. And I've seen a lot more inclusivity and a lot more programs. Like there's this amazing regatta up in Yapoon next weekend that I'm speaking at and it's the a, a women's keelboat regatta. And so there's lots of initiatives like that. And there's one in Melbourne happening this weekend. And And I think that that's great to just get more women out on boats and more women out in that industry. And we make great sailors. We have such an attention to detail. And so, you know, we see things that some of our counterparts might miss and we're so detail orientated that we can really go into the navigation and really go into the micromanaging of the sails, into the wind and and those numbers incredibly well. So, you know, we're a great asset to any team or any sailing adventures out there. And so I think it's great that we're now getting sort of supported and empowered to, to be that asset moving forward as well. I love that. And that is so true. And I mean, you've been sailing only since you were 25. So in some in some rooms, it might be considered, oh, you know, you actually started at a late age because everyone started sailing at like basically went from crawling to sailing kind of thing. When you look at some of these sailors that's been doing it all their life, what advice or anything can you give to someone that is in a later stage in their life? I mean, I switched careers as well midway through how you started your sailing at age 25, which inspired others to actually pursue their passions like later in life. What advice can you give individuals who feel like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm in my 30s or, you know, I'm heading to 50 and I'm way too old to start something new and adventurous. Like, what would you say to them? Yeah, I guess age is just a number. It has no real bearing on your attitude. And so attitude is everything. 
I was teaching sailing. I teach sailing out of Sydney uh, in my spare time between projects. And I, one of my students, she was 80 years old and she was learning to sail. And she had club raced with her husband for like most of her life, always as the crew member, never as the captain. And then when he passed away, she wanted training to learn how to skipper the boat uh, so that she could carry on sailing in his honor and in his name. And she club raced that boat and put it together and she learned and she was 80 years old. So age is not a barrier. It's your attitude towards thinking age is a barrier that is actually the barrier. So as long as you're fit and able and you've got the attitude to want to do it, that's all you need. And so, you know, one of the things that set me on this path was a quote that I came across and it was on this TV ad. I think it was selling, I don't know, a bank or insurance or something. And the quote was uh, just do because the world is changed by doers. And that really resonated with me at the time because I was on the fence about whether I wanted to do a project or not because I knew how enormous that commitment was going to be and how, I guess, difficult that challenge was going to going to be to undertake. And, and then I went back and I thought about it and I was like, well, actually, if I ever wanted to achieve that, if I ever wanted to get to that point, I just have to start that journey. And it doesn't matter if that's as simple as a Google search just trying to see what the weather conditions would be like or making my first phone call for a pitch on sponsorship or talking to my family about it and putting some responsibility there saying that I'm going to do this so that they can hold me accountable. Whatever it is that is your first step, like you just have to take that step and then take the next one and the next one. And they don't have to be big. They could be anything, but we as people, we have this remarkable ability to achieve incredible things as soon as we start on a journey towards that. And if your goal feels massive and feels like it's so big, you wouldn't be able to do it in, you don't have the skill set necessarily to do it or whatever that goal is, it's 100% achievable. You can go and get training. You can upskill. And the one thing I've learned is that you grow into your goals. And if your goal is huge, you will grow into the person you need to become to achieve that goal as long as you're passing those steps and as long as you're taking those steps in the right direction. And and that's what sort of happened for me. Like I was meant to be a high school art teacher. I was not meant to be a world record sailor. Um, and it was my last year at uni that I discovered sailing and fell in love with it with a massive passion and then went down this pathway. And 10 years ago, I wasn't capable of sailing around Antarctica. I wasn't the person that would be able to do that. But by setting that goal and setting that commitment, and it took me seven years to set that world record, seven years between the two projects to actually set that record. Anything is possible. And I grew into the person that I needed to become to achieve that project and to just give it a go, have a crack, commit yourself and, and get involved and, and do it because our potential, we don't realize what we are capable of until we start actually pushing our limits. And and so you've got to get outside your comfort zone to find those limits and so yeah, go out and have fun with it and embrace it. So many times, you know, doors get shut in our faces again and again and again. And, you know, for crazy bits, obviously I'm looking at you and I can just see this big Canva on your shirt <laughs> and I'm one of your sponsors. And I'm not sure if a lot of our crazy bits are aware, but like Melanie Perkins, which is one of the founders of Canva, which is from WA. So we, we're coining that. So, I mean, when, when she started this, honestly, 
no one believed in her. Like no one thought, you know, Canva would be so big or Canva would be anything. I mean, she had like close to, I think, a hundred people say to her, no, no, no. And well, no one's saying no to her now. And she's also saying yes to this climate action now with you. So, I mean, it just shows you that, you know, no matter how big you want to dream, if you continue with that dream, just keep on dreaming and make it reality and don't let anyone tell you off and, you know, make you want to stop believing in those dreams because you're actually the only person that can make that dream stop. Not Nothing that someone says should, should be able to make you stop that. So yeah, I just love that. So I wanted to add that on there. You have already done a lot, Lisa, very busy woman, but what is next? Like, what can we see next from you? Literally, like as I was landing on dry soil after Antarctica, everyone's like, so what's your next project? I'm like, well, I did just spend three months sailing around Antarctica, dreaming up the next project. So I am actively seeking partners at the moment. So if anyone's interested in getting involved, please do reach out through the website. But I'm looking to do a New Zealand speed record at the moment. I mentioned briefly earlier that I did microplastic sampling around Antarctica. So we uh, sampled 180 different sets of microplastics that I uh, collected the samples for as I was sailing around Antarctica. And so the results for those are coming out shortly. So the goal is to sail uh, Sydney to Auckland as a speed record and then do a circumnavigation of New Zealand as a secondary record and use the media coverage and the opportunity to Part one is raise some funds to get me out to more schools and to develop more education elements throughout the website. And the second part is to activate and sort of educate around the microplastics that I was able to collect on the record. So unfortunately, while I was sailing around Antarctica, we've worked out that almost every sample has plastic. And the results, I, I need to wait another month for the final results, but we know at least that at this stage. And, and that's terrifying because I'm sailing through one area of the ocean for one second once and I'm collecting plastic. So imagine the density in the other areas around you. So I really want to activate that through that project. And then the other project I'm developing at the moment, it's a three to five year campaign. Uh, and I couldn't think of a more apt project for a boat like mine or for, or for me, sorry, I need a different boat for that project, but it's to sail or become the first person in the world ever to sail solo, nonstop and unassisted around the Arctic Circle. And it requires, like, it's only physically possible because of climate change and because of global warming. And so the ice melting, the ice caps melting up there have made it physically possible to be able to sail around the Arctic nonstop. So I think that that's an incredible follow-on from my campaign, my climate action campaign, to be able to create the education and awareness around that and expand that out. But it also requires me to have a different boat because instead of being in the storm belt, I'm in the high pressure system. So that means that it's very light winds, very calm conditions most of the time, but I'm in and around ice. And so for me to want to take another boat for that trip or to build a boat for it, it needs to be sustainable. So a massive portion of the funds that I'm raising for that is to actually fund and advance the research of a material called volcanic fiber or basalt rock, which they now turn into fabrics like fiberglass and it's a more sustainable solution. And I want to pair that with different bioresins and run the stress testing so that we can see if we can come up with a material that's going to combat or potentially eliminate the standard fiberglass construction. 
a problem that a lot of people aren't addressing at the moment is what we do with our boats when they're finished, when they when they can't be used anymore. And a normal fiberglass boat, they say if it's really well maintained, will last up to 50 years, but a, an average boat's around 25 years lifespan. So last year alone, there was 700,000 new boats built globally and that the industry rose by 50%. So every year on trend, the boating industry has been increasing by 50% for new boat builds. So for us to then think of in 25 years' time, that's not even 2050 yet, we're going to have a major problem with plastic pollution from from the end of the life of these boats that are getting built at the moment. And a lot of them get sunk and they turn into microplastics in the ocean or they fill up the landfills. And they're really starting to, to switch on to the fact that we can't continue to build. We don't have an end of life strategy for these vessels yet. So instead of trying to work out a recycling plan because we know not much actually gets recycled. I'm trying to find a way to build a boat the same quality, same techniques, but out of a sustainable material or something that's not going to harm our environment in the same way. And then use the Arctic record as a an amplifier and an educator platform for all of that. And obviously continue with the Climate Action Now campaign and the citizen science microplastic research up there and everything as well. So lots and lots going on and, and plenty of projects to follow along with. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And I'm definitely going to keep an eye on on that boat because obviously, you know, being a sustainable designer, it's always great, you know, hearing <laughs> about all of these things. But I also heard a little birdie say that you are going to be on a reality TV show as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the time our listeners listen to this episode, I hope that they see that you are the winner of a reality TV show. <laughs> Can you give fingers us a crossed, quick fingers crossed. glimpse on that? <laughs> yeah, so I am a competitor in the reality TV show airing on Channel 7 and it's called Million Dollar Island. I couldn't think of anything more different than being solo in Antarctica in cold climate than going with 100 people into a tropical island and, and fighting to survive. So, um, yeah, so I hope you all tune in and join in and uh, and watch the show. It will be up on Channel 7 and it's also going to be airing uh, through the 7 app as well. So you can watch it later if you miss the first episodes. But, um, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. <laughs> Awesome. I love that. And Lisa, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? I think just committing to the goal of making sure that every project I have has a community impact or an environmental impact. And that can be education or that can be deploying scientific drifter boys for the Bureau of Meteorology, or it can be creating that education platform for schools and educators. Yeah, I think that's for me one of the biggest is making sure that I have a give back woven through everything that I do. And and in fact, largely like what I'm doing now is the adventures are awesome. And I obviously love adventuring and continue to explore and have these grand projects, but they're secondary to using the project as an amplifier for change. And I think that that's really important for people because if I can like the larger my profile becomes, the more impact I can generate. And so I think understanding that and using that in the right way and and using my profile in the right way is is probably my biggest gift back to, to Mama Earth. I love that. That's amazing. And we are now going to move into our final fives. First one is what is one social media account or publication that you follow? 
Yeah, so there's this great girl called I Am Laura Wells. She's pretty active on Instagram and Facebook, and she is a model that uses her fame for sustainability. And so she does a lot around and just sort of really calling people out, And but she does it in a really fun, positive way as well. So she's a great channel to follow. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? I hope that we just all become more responsible for our actions because if we take the responsibility on, then we will find solutions and we will work together towards solutions and creating a future. But if we want to continue to live the way we are and with the amazing lives that we get given in this world and the comforts and the creature comforts that we have and the the sort of convenience that we have in this planet, then we need to take that responsibility. So I really hope that I see a greater change of people taking that responsibility on board and, and using that as a positive enactor for themselves. Awesome. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? Just the reminder, it doesn't have to be everything. Just start with one action. Pick up the rubbish when you see it on the street or when you're buying your next bit of clothing, choose an alternative material to polyester clothing. Choose cotton or wool or any other material that's out there and just remind yourself that that even though it's a small action, it does have a powerful impact if we can get enough people taking them. So, you know, just embrace that and and real and understand that you don't have to give up the way you live and everything around you to be sustainable or to be taking sustainable actions. So yeah, I wish everyone well on their journeys. I love that. That's so important. And crazy birds, you can always take that change that you're making and make sure it gets posted on Lisa's boat. So go on, post it. <laughs> get it posted. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people that are not yet on a sustainable journey? The statistic that I find quite alarming because it's something that we all have the power to impact is that one garbage truck worth of rubbish enters the ocean every minute. And so every bit of rubbish that lands on the street or the sidewalk eventually makes its way to the sea. And so I think, you know, that to me is like quite a alarming statistic when you think about it. That coupled with by 2050, there'll be more plastic within fish in the ocean, you know, it kind of drives that message home. And and again, it's all about those small actions and taking responsibility for our actions. And yes, yeah, so I think for me, that's that's one of the biggest that I've come across. And where can people find you when you are not on your boat or, you know, when when they want to find you in the virtual spaces, where can they <laughs> find you? <laughs> Yeah, so I always um, blog and, and have trackers and stuff on my projects. So please do get involved and get behind the projects. So you can follow along via my website, which is lisablairsalestheworld.com. Uh, if you want to submit a post-it note, it's just go to the Climate Action Now tab. And then there's a tab there that says get involved. And you can fill out a post-it note message. And all of that goes on the boat. So every new world record, I update the wrap on the boat. So all the new messages I've collected in between projects go on the boat. So your message will get involved. The other social channels that I'm quite active on is Instagram and Facebook. I'm probably more active on Facebook. Sorry, guys. Um, but it's all just Lisa Blair Sales the World. So if you just throw me in Google, you'll find a ton of options and previous articles and um, news pieces. And there's lots of little video updates from past projects in my socials as well. So you can go and check it out and see what it's like sailing around Antarctica by looking at some of the previous videos.
Oh, awesome. And I will link all of those up in our show notes as well. So if you're driving in the car or on the train or wherever you are and you can't write it down now, go to the show notes. It'll be a click away. Thank you so much, Lisa, for literally sailing the world and (laughs) fighting this fight for climate action and just doing all the work that you're doing. It's making such a difference. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been brilliant to have a chat and I really would love some feedback from your followers to just see them getting involved and excited about it. So, um, you know, enjoy listening and join us on this adventure. Awesome. We will be sure to do so. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the MamaEarthTalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? Let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms And they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best way to get in contact with me would probably be a DM on Instagram. You can either send it to my personal, which is at Zero Waste Mariska, or the podcast, which is at Mama Earth Talk, or send me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday, so make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.